Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Christmas is one week away. Hard to believe. Let's pray. So if you're like me, there might be a lot of things on your mind. So let's pray that the Lord would help us to focus on him and learn from him and hear from him with all the, the things that might be swirling around. Jesus, we, we ask for your help. Lord, we know the, the irony of Christmas, which is all about you, oftentimes, if we're honest, is one of our most distracted times of the year. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for help, pray for energy. We pray that we would learn new things about you and we would um, grow in our trust and our faith, and we would see how this familiar Christmas story has everything to do with our present life right now. And we thank you, Jesus, that one day you're going to return for your people, for your bride, and we, we look forward to that day. So I ask for your help, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to begin a three-part series this morning um, entitled The Long-Awaited Messiah. So it'll be today, uh, next Sunday morning, and next Sunday evening. Three parts, all looking at Old Testament passages that promised a Messiah to come. To get our gears turned this morning, I want want to ask you some questions that are going to be really relevant to what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 7. So I want you to think, what what causes you to fear or to worry? What are those things that are on your mind that that just tempt you to really be fearful or to be worried? It could be things like your financial situation. It could be a health diagnosis for yourself or for a loved one. It could be strain in relationships. It might just be the pressure of the Christmas season and all the things that you know you have to do that you haven't done yet. It could be uh, politics, as you can feel it already ramping up in the news like it did a few years ago. And you you might have a number of thoughts about that. One might be fear, one might be worry. What are those things? What are those things that threaten your faith? That if you're honest, This thing, whatever it is, it threatens my faith. And it plays out something like, can I really trust God in this situation? What is that thing or things? Oftentimes we know what that thing or things are by what we go to bed thinking about and what we wake up in the morning thinking about. There's there's the thing. Well, one way to look at those pressures and trials, one of the the ways that the Lord uses those things is he uses them to reveal where our trust is. And so at times, by pressure, by trials, by suffering, we see, oh, we're really trusting the Lord? Or, oh no, I'm actually trusting in my own abilities here or my own resources here. And so those difficulties can actually be a great revealer and a great help that we can turn from our unbelief and turn back to Jesus. Well, the reason I'm asking all these questions is because we're going to look at Isaiah 7, 
And we're going to see one of the most familiar promises of Jesus in the Old Testament. But I think oftentimes, when we think about this passage, we we separate it from its original context. In its original context, the Jewish people, particularly the tribe of Judah, were threatened by other uh, military presence, by other nations. And they were in danger. And the line of David, this promised line of kings, was being threatened. And rather than trusting in the Lord, they looked to another country for help. They looked to Assyria. And God is going to speak to them. And I want to just set up the context. So if you have your Bible, look at Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to lock in on uh, verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Remali, the king of Israel, came to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So did you catch it? The heart of the people shook. They were fearful. There was a threat. And rather than looking to the Lord for hope and help and security, they they trusted in their own wisdom. They trusted in their own uh, abilities to solve the problem. Well, Syria has a big army. Let's look to them. In, in the, the Gospel Transformation Bible, with this passage, the, the writer says this, When circumstances grow difficult in our lives, the temptation increases to cease to trust in God. When circumstances grow difficult in our lives, the temptation increases to cease to trust in God. And that's what happened to the original recipients of Isaiah 7. If you'd come to my house, you'd look in the backyard, and there are about a hundred and some red pine trees, which are kind of tall pines that the, the branches aren't till the very tippy top. And if you come in the next 24 hours, we're supposed to get wind and a storm. What you'll see is those trees will begin to dance and sway because of the wind. And, and the ones that are dead will actually at times break off. The ones that are alive, they'll be able to sway through the wind. Well, I want you to have that picture because that's what's happening in Isaiah 7. The people are gripped with fear. Their hearts are swaying like those trees in the wind. And if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, really from chapter 7, the whole way through chapter 39, God is calling his people to faith. And it's like one failure after another of unbelief. That they're doubting God. Now if we're honest, we can be just like them. Even if you are a believer in Jesus. You really believe he died for your sins. He rose from the grave that he's going to come back. But if you're honest, those pressures build. And as they mount, we begin to look to other things for refuge. Other things for help and safety. That's why we want to look at this series, The Long-Awaited Messiah. So today we're going to look at Isaiah 7, 
uh, 14, uh, next Sunday morning, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, and then Christmas Eve evening, Isaiah 9, 6. So keep that context in mind. God's people are fearful. They're afraid. A real threat is upon them. And it's in the middle of that, God tells them to ask for a sign. He sends Isaiah the prophet to talk to King Ahaz. And this is what the sign is going to be. Verse 14, and this should sound familiar to many of you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. They have threat. There is real fear. God tells them, here's a sign. Here's your ultimate hope. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. I don't know if you think about it this way, but Christmas really is about three things. The Christmas account of God becoming man is about a promise that was made. It's about a promise that is kept that we see in the New Testament actually happened. And then it's about a promise to be received and to be trusted. And that's what we're going to look at today. But all this centers around a promised Messiah, a promised King. So we have to understand our terms first. So look at the quote behind me. Because the the promise of the Messiah, and in the New Testament, the word Christ is used to describe Messiah, links the Old and New Testament together. So the dictionary of Jesus and the gospel says this, Messiah, originally referring primarily to someone anointed by Yahweh, by God, into a specific role as a prophet, a priest, or especially a king, the term Messiah is applied more widely to cover a hoped-for Redeemer figure who emerged in the Old Testament and whom Christians affirm finds fulfillment in Jesus. So, the series is a long-awaited Messiah, a long-awaited prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to see from this passage, this, this king is going to be miraculous. And even how he comes to earth is going to be miraculous. But it's all centered around this promise, rescuer, deliverer that really has been promised since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 after Adam and Eve sinned. And so this this promise gets clearer and clearer throughout the Old Testament, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah in the Hebrew, is used 531 times to refer to Jesus. You might not have known that. That's a lot of times. So when you, you see Jesus Christ in the New Testament... It's Jesus, literally mean the one who came to save. Christ is his title. He's the promised king. So every time Christ is used, it should be linking our, our mind back to the Old Testament that God has made a promise and he's been faithful to keep his promise. If you have a Bible or phone, turn to Matthew chapter 1 quickly. In Matthew chapter 1, Now let's be honest, when you read Matthew chapter 1, if you read it, 
you, I'm sure you, you skip it at times, right? You got a whole bunch of names that are hard to pronounce, and you just kind of fast forward. I just want to point two things out to connect us to this long-awaited Messiah. Verse 1. This will help make some sense of all the names. Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. If you have a New American Standard version of the Bible, it actually says Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it's a list of a long name of both Jewish people and Gentile, um, some Gentile women, some who have done wild things, and the Lord put them in this great genealogy, this promised king would come through all these various people. And then look at verse 17. It says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to, to the Christ, 14 generations. To the Christ, to the promised king that would come. So to us, it might seem like a list of names that is hard to pronounce. But to God, it's the storyline of how he planned to rescue his people and how he orchestrated these things. One of the reasons that King Ahaz and the Jewish people were so frightened in Isaiah 7 is because the line of David that, that Dave Marsh is going to preach about next week was promised that the king's going to come through David's line. And with this military threat that was coming, the line was going to end. There wasn't going to be a king through that line. And so they were fearful. But here's the big idea from Isaiah 7, 14. God supernaturally came to earth to supernaturally save a people. He supernaturally came to earth, why? To supernaturally save a people. Point one, God promised a miraculous Messiah. God promised a miraculous Messiah. Look at Isaiah 7.14 again. Therefore the Lord himself, he will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Point two, we're going to look at in more detail how miraculous this virgin conception and birth was. But did you catch the tail end of verse 14? You shall call his name Emmanuel. You should call his name God with us. This king is going to be none other than God with us. He is going to be a miraculous Messiah. See, they were looking to a neighboring nation for help, for rescue for protection. And God wanted them to look to Him and to His promised Deliverer who would one day come, who will be none other than God Himself. But they were fearful and they were doubting. See, the long way to Messiah was the ultimate hope for God's people. But just like us, they weren't looking upward. They weren't looking outward. They were looking to what they could see with their own eyes. Now be honest, that's what we do. Let me give you an example, or a couple examples. If you are in financial pressure right now, and in a room this size, or those watching online, certainly there's some that are experiencing financial pressure. 
That's a hard place to be. And there's different things to do when you're under that pressure. You can become so fixated. You look at your, your checking account online again. You look at the numbers. You look at the bills. You look at everything. And then you have the pressure of Christmas on top of that. And you want to get gifts for people. And you, you, the, like the, the money doesn't make sense. And, and you feel pressure. And you're getting anxious. And you're getting worried. Well, it's good to know where you are, but ultimately, as a follower of Jesus, you need to take that and take that to the Lord. Like it says in Matthew 6, to seek Him first, and He will provide for you. But see, if we think, oh, I'll just cut some corners on my, my income reporting for the year. I'll maybe do something that I think is dishonest or borderline dishonest, and we start bypassing God's plan It's the same thing as looking to Assyria in the Old Testament. It's no different. We need to trust in the Lord. Maybe it's sickness and suffering that you received a bad diagnosis or someone you care about has. And in a fallen, broken world, that's going to happen. It's going to happen to many of us. What do you do in those times? What you do as a believer in Jesus matters. It matters for the sake of your soul, for peace, for a supernatural joy. See, you could go down the rabbit hole of the internet and just research hour after hour after hour after hour, whatever the condition is. And you come to the end of that and it's just a whole nother trail. Well, maybe it's this, and maybe it's that. Maybe we should do this. And, maybe... and it's not bad to be informed, but there's no peace in that rabbit hole. There's no peace. We have to go to the Lord rather than going to Assyria. Maybe it's politics. If you weren't here during... Um, COVID or the the previous election, our approach to politics is we want you to be good citizens if you're a citizen of the United States and participate in the process. But you're not going to hear political things from this stage, this platform. We're going to preach Jesus. We're going to preach the Bible. And we're going to seek to care for you as you navigate all the stuff. But if you are fearful right now and you are anxious and you are worried about the state of our nation and you see the the moral decline of our nation and you're, you're worried and fearful, participate as a citizen in elections and vote. But your hope and my hope has to be in the promised king who was sent and who has come and who is calling us to trust in him. It should never be in a particular person who is not Jesus. Jesus is the hope. And if an outcome happens in a way that you would not prefer, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still the King. He's still seated at the right hand of the Father. He's still coming back. He rules over all the nations, not just the United States of America. So you can trust Him. Don't look to Assyria for peace and hope and help. See, this miracle baby, one day king, was promised, and he actually came to earth. 
which is point two, the promised miraculous Messiah miraculously came to earth. So not, not only is the king himself a miracle, he's God and man, but how he got here was miraculous as well. How do we know that? We know that from the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And in this account, um, Matthew is actually quoting Isaiah 7:14, our, our passage for this morning. And he says this, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The promised king that was promised more than 700 years earlier actually came to earth. That's good news for you and I. Let's look at the broader context. So look at Matthew 1.18 and we'll read the whole account here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the promised king, Jesus the promised king from the book of Isaiah and many other places in the Old Testament took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal in the New Testament was more binding, much more binding than our understanding of engagement. And we know that because we're going to see in a moment, for for a time, Joseph thought about divorcing his wife even before they were officially married. So betrothal was very binding. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. No other way to say this that Joseph found out she was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. That's, that's what the Bible's saying there. And her husband, verse 19, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Should make you like Joseph. He's a good guy. He, he, he was trying to be kind to this devastating news that he found out his soon-to-be bride was pregnant and he was not the father. But as he considered these things, Boy, would he have been happy when he heard this from the angel. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. So all these names are so important. Son of David, meaning you're in the line. You're in the line of the king. And this baby that I'm about to tell you about, he's in the line. He's part of the promise that I made and that I'm keeping. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Just like Isaiah said, it's a miracle conception. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin conceived will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
So Jesus was miraculously conceived, and Jesus was fully God and fully man. He, his name, Emmanuel, he, he literally is God with us. God came to earth. Now, we don't know, but, but commentators speculate that it's hard to know what the original recipients of Isaiah 7 verse 14 understood was happening. They may have not understood that this is actually going to be literal. A virgin, which literally means a maid, servant, uh, a woman who, a maiden who had not yet been married, will bear a child. And she called him Emmanuel. They might have interpreted that. There's debate of, well, she was a maiden, then she got married and had a baby, and God's going to be with them. And, and they may have thought, well, maybe that's going to be one of um, King Ahaz's descendants, more immediate descendants. But we know from Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's crystal clear. No, Isaiah 7.14 always meant that there would be a king that was conceived miraculously. Mary is the mom. The Holy Spirit conceived the child. The child's name is Jesus. Jesus is God with us. B.B. Warfield, the famous theologian, said this about this passage. The supernatural Christ, the supernatural Messiah, and the supernatural salvation carry with them by an inevitable consequence the supernatural birth of Jesus. The supernatural Christ, fully God, fully man, and the supernatural salvation, we were spiritually dead and we're made spiritually alive. That's supernatural. We uh, are destined to hell by nature and we're bound to heaven when we trust in Jesus. That is supernatural. It all indicates or points to a supernatural birth. Something miraculous had to take place for God to to incarnate, to come to earth, to rescue sinners like us, but not have a sinful nature. That is all wrapped into the incarnation. Here's another quote by commentator William Hendrickson. It's important to get into kind of the the, the dense doctrine that's in the incarnation, not just so we can say we, we did that, but so that we understand the implications of what that means for us. And it should help you to trust God more. So this is what he said. In order to save us, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, the King that was promised, must in one person be both God and man. Sinless man. He must be God and man, and not just man, but he has to be sinless. The doctrine of the virgin birth satisfies both of these requirements. It reveals to us Jesus Christ, one divine person with two natures. A, divine, fully God, truly God, and sinless human. Truly man, truly human. See, not being conceived by natural means, Jesus did not inherit the sinful nature of Adam. And 
It's fully God. Jesus didn't just begin existing when he came to earth. He always existed. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, always existed and in time came to earth. Why does all this matter? Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is why it matters. For our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why does all this matter? Because the greatest problem in all of the world is this problem. There's a perfect God who's fully holy. He's the judge of the world. There is no imperfection in him at all. The dilemma is the only way to have a relationship with him, to be in his presence, is you have to be perfect. Here's the great dilemma of the human condition that all world religions and philosophies try to solve. How how can you reconcile the two? How can a holy God welcome us into his presence if the requirement is perfection? There's only one way. There's only one way. And the way has to center around someone who can be our substitute, can die in our place. The challenge is that substitute has to be, by his very nature, fully God and perfect man. Has to be. So this is the beauty of Christianity. This is what why the king came. The king came to earth, miraculously conceived, grew up, fully God, fully man. The most important, or one of the most important things about Jesus that we don't think about a lot is what happened from age one till he died on the cross. Let's say it happened age one, even before his public ministry that he did all these great miracles. What he did during those times, that time frame, is something you could never do. Something you did not do. Something I did not do. He was perfect. Those of you who have toddlers right now, never disobeyed, never threw a tantrum, never yelled, never hit his brother, never hit his sister, never pushed his dad, never threw a toy, never took the food off of the high chair and just chucked it. Uh, He was perfect. Then as he hit his teenage years, where most of us sank if we didn't sink already, he was perfect in his thoughts, in the speech that came out of his mouth, and in all of his actions. Perfect. Day after day, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, just knocking out of the park the whole time. A plus perfection in human righteousness. Why does all this matter? We needed a perfect king so he could die as our substitute. See, we're thinking about Christmas right now, but Christmas should always be connected with Easter. See, the perfect king that was promised who came, who passed all the tests, then died on the cross for our sins. The only way he could die for our sins is he had to be 
sinless. And he was. So he was the perfect sacrifice. And he was fully God so he could absorb the wrath of God upon himself. Do you remember when he knew the crucifixion was coming? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's literally crying drops of blood or coming out of his tear ducts. Not because he was afraid, but he knew what was coming. And only God could fully absorb the punishment upon himself for the sins of the world. So when Paul writes this verse that I just read, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That has everything to do with the nature of this miracle baby that we celebrate Christmas. And this is where people get confused about Christianity. Some people think I have to clean myself up and then I can start coming to church. Then I can pray then I can open my Bible. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, no, we're going to run to Jesus. God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. I believe I received the substitute for my sin, which is your son, Jesus, who paid my debt in full, once for all, past sins, present sins, future sins, covered. He's my king, and I'm going to bow down to him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him. But it's a free gift that this king who came, who was promised from Isaiah, came to earth, and now is calling us to trust him, which is the final point. The promised Messiah, he must be received initially, but then he must be continually trusted. The promised, miraculous Messiah must be received and continually trusted. Must be received. If you have not yet turned from your sins and called out to Jesus for salvation, today maybe should be the most important day of your life. That if you respond, if you receive the gift of salvation, you today can have eternal life. You can have all your sins washed away. You can be welcomed into God's family. You can be adopted as his son or his daughter. This is what John wrote about in John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. Talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him the Jewish people. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. They were born again. They were born again by God's Spirit. See, this king that was promised in Isaiah, that we read about in the book of Matthew and Luke and John and Mark, this king has to be received. At this point in my life, I'm a, a very routine person in the morning, so every morning I wake up, I make coffee, my dog Hershey comes around, I read my Bible, but what I like to do this time of year is I plug the Christmas tree lights in, because it's all in the same room. And if you're in our house right now, slowly there are Christmas presents beginning to, to um, pile under the tree. Now, in January, if you come to our house, 
let's say even after Christmas, the tree's still up, but it hasn't ha- January hasn't happened yet, there won't be any gifts under the tree. Why is that? Because all of those gifts will be open. They will be received. But if nobody receives those gifts, they're, they're just going to stay there. It's the same with Jesus. We have to respond. He did all of these things to bring you to God. But you have to respond by faith, by trust, by calling out to Him. So may not another Christmas go by where you have not responded to Jesus. Now for many of us, you've responded to Jesus. Now you have to trust Him. You have to trust Him day after day. Sometimes the reason we don't trust Him is we underestimate how big of a deal it was that he actually saved us from our sins. We minimize that. Rather than really understanding, no, we were on the brink of eternal hell, wrath, damnation. If we would have died, we would be in hell. And he rescued us. He solved our greatest dilemma. That's real. Your greatest need, if you are a Christian, has been resolved. It's been resolved. No matter what you will ever face in your life, what is right there right now, that is on you and hard and difficult, it is not as great as the need you had prior to calling out to Jesus. doesn't mean it's not hard. doesn't mean it's not real. doesn't mean it doesn't weigh on you. But if you can trust him in the greatest need you've ever had, you can trust him in every other need in life as well. Christmas is a call to faith for Christians. Will you trust him? James says it this way, Blessed is the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trial. Remains steadfast, keeps going. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. When God has promised, which God has promised to those who love him. Some of you are in that test right now. He's calling you to trust him. Christmas is a loud call. You can trust me. Just this one promise that we're looking at, which is one of many Old Testament promises, shows Seven centuries of work through many generations of God's faithfulness. Then then Jesus actually arrives. All because he loves people. He loves you. You can trust him. So, remain steadfast. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep casting your cares on Jesus. One of the ironies of the Christmas season is that we get really busy. So you probably spend more time with Jesus at other times of the year than the time that he came to save us, that we celebrate, which is his birthday. If that's you, you're in good company here, I think. But we have a week. So this week, close the gap. Maybe if you've been out of sorts with Bible reading, open your Bible, one day read the account in Matthew then in Luke, then in Mark, and then the, the, just this grand theological picture 
in John chapter 1 about Jesus and pray and talk to him. See, a king was promised. A miracle baby came. His name is Jesus. You can talk to him. You can call out to him. You can trust him. See, God supernaturally came to earth to supernaturally save. And he can supernaturally work in your present life situation. We're going to sing a final song. It's going to center around Jesus and his coming to earth. And maybe different than you did when we sang earlier this morning, express faith, thankfulness to Jesus as we sing this final song. Let's all stand. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are King and Lord. Thank you that we can trust you. May we not look to whatever our Assyria is right now, our other things or other people or other places or other resources that are not the risen promised king. Lord, may there be a joy and a lightness as we leave here that maybe we didn't walk in with this morning. Lord, would you speak to us? Encourage us. For those who are really struggling, would you draw near to them? For those who feel the weight of the world upon their shoulders, Lord, would you give them grace to cast their cares upon you? We will give you all the praise for this. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.